Hi guys, welcome to the safe space, a cosy corner of the internet, where we tell the stories they didn't teach you in, in school. school. How have you been this week, Hess? I've been alright, mate. I've been alright. It's been quite a tumultuous week. It's been busy, hasn't it? We got very active lately. Mm-hmm. We've been interviewing some amazing people, mm-hmm. and uh, in doing so... I think it's inspired us a little bit, hasn't it? Oh, 100%. I really feel more like an activist now. Yeah. Don't know about you. I've yeah, had this yeah, real yeah. revelation, actually, in myself. Not all heroes wear capes, are they? They sometimes just have a podcast mic. Sometimes they just have a... What do they call it? An undercut. An undercut. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine isn't an undercut. Mine's tufts. Yeah, no, it's just two out. tufts that are <laughs> popping out the side of your head. Um, so, yeah. Tell us what you got this week. So I chat about the Glamour Boys... The uh, infamous, well, they're not infamous, they're very unknown queer politicians in the 1930s who first warned people about the Nazis and Hitler. Right. Hmm. Interesting story to tell. It was interesting. It's very interesting. It's, uh, I mean, I didn't know about these glamour boys. They seem like a bit of a force to be reckoned with. I wish we had a gay group of politicians now that could sort of temper some of these tensions. Well, maybe there are, but we just might not know about it. Maybe. Hmm. But you'd, you'd, you'd think. You'd think. Yeah. Um, what about you? What have you? What do you chat about this week? Well, I've been doing a lot of reading this week. Love that. I'm currently reading Sarah Shulman's The Gentrification of the Mind, Witness mm. to a Lost Imagination, which is all about how the lost generation in the AIDS pandemic mm-hmm. has caused a difference in queer culture because of that lack of communication between two generations that occurred from so much death in the AIDS pandemic. So it's a pretty deep subject matter but really really important and this book is honestly blowing my mind i would i would i would encourage anyone to read it yeah how did you find that book i found her on a podcast Ah, (laughs) amazing and then what else did you chat about we also i also spoke about the first known Mm -hmm. drag queen in america called william dorsey swan Mm -hmm. and had a an incredible life of resistance yeah which you need to hear about. I'm not going to really reveal it all now. And finally, I spoke about something we don't really speak about. Something that maybe two lesbians shouldn't have the space to speak about. But we did it anyway. Yeah. We spoke about masculinity. Mm-hmm. Toxic masculinity and positive masculinity. And mm-hmm. how we can move from one to the other. Uh-huh. Rather than just criticising one and expecting the other. Yes. And how we need to do that through love. And being. Just let people be. So yeah, two lesbians talking about how to love men. Go enjoy the podcast, guys. Go enjoy it. Emma, mm-hmm. did you know that the first drag queen was actually an African-American man born into slavery in the 1800s? No. His name was William Dorsey Swan, and he's widely regarded as the first known LGBTQ plus activist in the United States. What? And was the first known person to identify as the queen of drag. RuPaul, move over! In fact, it is thought that William is one of the first people to coin the phrase drag queen. Here's the story of William. William was born into slavery in Maryland in 1858 before later moving to Washington, D.C. He organised and participated in drag balls, which were gatherings of LGBTQ plus people, particularly those who identified as transgender, where they could actually dress in the clothing of their preferred gender without fear of persecution. Wow. And it was safe to do so? Well, no, it wasn't safe to do so, Emma. In 1887, William and his friends formed what was called the Clubhouse in Washington, D.C., which was likely the first LGBTQ plus organisation in the United States. 
How do we not know about this? The clubhouse provided a safe space for queer people to gather and socialise. Love that. And it also served as a platform for Swan to speak out that the, about the social injustices that the community faced. Very brave. How have I never heard his name before? Well, you probably won't have heard of him because these events were often held in secret to avoid targeting from the public and the police. William was arrested several times and faced harsh penalties, imprisonment and forced labour. However, Emma, he mm -hmm. refused to be silenced and even used his arrests and his day in court as an opportunity to speak out against the injustices faced by his community. Incredible. Brave, brave man. Now, there are no specific details about how he escaped slavery. He may have been freed due to emancipation or he may have escaped by running away. But regardless of how it happened, his experience as an enslaved person most likely shaped his perspective on social injustice and forced him to pursue a life of activism yeah. for the marginalised. Now, William died sometime in the 20th century. However, his death went largely unnoticed. And his contributions to the movement were forgotten for many years. It wasn't until the late 20th century that scholars and activists rediscovered William's legacy and began to recognise him as the pioneering figure that he was. So that's William. Today, in our safe spaces, in our schools and in our day-to-day -day lives, we need to remember and be grateful for the courageous people like William. 100%. Who defied societal norms mm -hmm. and fought tirelessly with every opportunity for the rights of marginalised communities and for our futures. And obviously, someone like William may have been written out of history because of his race, because of his refusal to accept the social norms. I think it's amazing that we still have records of him and pictures of him and we can remember him today. So, thanks William. Queen of the drags. I just, I'm a bit fed up actually that we're not taught these things. Yeah, well that's it. I mean, if you're a teacher, yeah, go and teach the kids about William because mm. as much as something can be forgotten, it can be remembered, you know? Yeah, so. Hester, have you heard about the queer politicians that were the first to warn people about the Nazis and Hitler in the 1930s? I've not, Emma. This is mainly a story of the upper classes, and a remarkable number of them were products of Eton. Classic. Mm -hmm. So some homosexuals in armies, public schools, and politics were often very well connected, which meant that they were somehow protected, if you catch my drift. Mm -hmm. They were left undisturbed to be themselves, even though by law it was punishable. The posh gays. Which meant they were allowed to be themselves, and by that I mean gay, white, rich man. And so there was a small group of Conservative MPs in the 1930s who were fruity, and they were actually named the Glamour Boys by the late Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> He was making fun of them in a playful sense. Otherwise. <laughs> and so all these fruity MPs would, you know, obviously work together and uh, leisure together. And there was one they time... They would leisure together? They would leisure together. <laughs> and there was one time where they went to Berlin. Big gay weekend. Big gay weekend in Berlin. We need to go on one of them. We do. They went on one just after the war had finished. But they were like kind of partying in all these very queer spaces that they'd been to before. Mm -hmm. However, this time round, the homosexuals were getting arrested as well as Jews. And they witnessed what the Nazis started to do in 1930s Germany. And they also saw police raids in nightclubs and bars. So they came home and they tried to warn people, which at the time, Britain didn't see Hitler and his party so much as a threat. At the time, Neville Chamberlain was pursuing a policy of appeasement against Hitler. 
So Neville was not recognising the threat that Hitler was posing. Even though the concerns of the Glamour Boys were vindicated in the 1930s and 1940s, British history has failed to appreciate them in the same capacity that they have done for Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was painted as this hero that led Britain to win the war, when it was in fact a bunch of fruity men that first warned Britain about the Nazis and Hitler. So Winston was actually good mates with one of the Glamour Boys, probably more than just one of them, but specifically those- More than just mates? But there was specifically one glamour boy that he was very good mates with. We all have our favourites, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Which was Victor Cassellette, dashing man, I might say. And he was a significant figure in UK politics. And Queen Victoria was actually his godmother, which is kind of crazy. And Victor was then also godfather to Winston Churchill's daughter, Mary Churchill. And fun fact, he was actually godfather to the very famous Hollywood actress, Elizabeth Taylor. Lizzie Taylor! Even funner fact, he was the one that kicked off her career. She's a gay icon. She is. And from that, she then went on to become the world's richest Hollywood star in the 1960s. God bless the gays. Isn't it? And fun fact, Elizabeth Taylor was one of the first celebrities to take part in HIV slash AIDS activism. Amazing. Amazing. She co-founded American Foundation for AIDS Research in 1985. It's certain that the glamour boys faded from the public memory, but hopefully with this podcast, these queer people can be celebrated and appreciated in, in their entirety for who they actually were, not just their position. And if, it makes me think that if a small group of uh, rich white men can be hidden, I can't even imagine the, um, the amount of people that have been buried in silence. We're here to unearth the truth. You and me, Jackson. (laughs) With this particular story, we have someone um, reach out to us and ask for us to research this. Did we? Yeah, we did. The reason they were called the Glamour Boys as well, I should ask, is because they were very hot. They They were sexy. They were sexy men. Big sexy men. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear and read about them because they seemed to me that they were like of high society and they were in politics and stuff like that. But they didn't have a family, like many of them. Like, you know, they... Okay, everyone kind of knew. I think everyone everyone knew. Like, Winston Churchill was one of the best mates with one of them. Mm. It makes you think now, what's happening today? Are the people that are in charge of countries and create law, do they have fruity mates? They'll have fruity mates. They might be fruity themselves. Well, it's like those, those American um, politicians, loads of those American senators that are, like gathering together against drag to ban drag and somebody found a picture of them all in drag. <laughs> for fun, maybe it's for fun. Like, I'm not saying that it was a full... But it's always for fun. <laughs> like, it's never, like, you know? It's never like, not fun. It's never like, I'm a serious drag queen. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah. the hypocrisy is everywhere, right? Yeah. It's interesting how he's got all these little kids that he's godfathers to that are like... That all became gay little activists. Yeah. Or activists for the gays. Yeah, because isn't it true that Winston Churchill's kids are like somewhat gay? Didn't you say that? I'm not saying nothing. Uh, <laughs> my lawyer, I can't afford a lawyer right now. <laughs> Learning to wear a mask is the first lesson in patriarchal masculinity that a boy learns. He learns that his core feelings cannot be expressed if they do not conform to the acceptable behaviours sexism defines as male. Asked to give up the true self in order to realise the patriarchal ideal, boys learn self-betrayal early and are rewarded for these acts of soul murder. Wow. That's bell hooks, eh? 
Here she's talking about the impact of the patriarchy on men. I think she defines what toxic masculinity is so well. So she says it's an adherence to the three pillars of masculinity that a man must excel in in order to prove himself. The first being athleticism or violence, being the alpha. The second is the objectification of women. And the third is money and power and excelling in these three things will make you a respectable man. That's how men express masculinity and toxic masculinity. Yeah. You can see all that really clearly in figures like Andrew Tate, Donald Trump. But if men removed the need to excel in these ways as being a means of expressing masculinity, mm -hmm. what are they left with? Fear. Well, yeah. Often if men don't engage mm -hmm. in the above, i.e. they're not athletic, but they prefer art, mm -hmm. or they respect women in their entirety, or they have other aims rather than money, such mm -hmm. as raising children, being emotionally well, or an interest in nature. These things are often characterized as gay, yeah, or sissy, yeah. or weak but they're not and actually what we need to do is embrace men for who they are and not what they do right bell hooks has this wonderful quote to create loving men we must love males loving maleness is different from praising and rewarding males for living up to sexist defined notions of male identity caring about men because of what they do for us is not the same as loving males for simply being when we love maleness, we extend our love whether males are performing or not performance is different from simply being in patriarchal culture Males are not allowed to simply be who they are and to glory in their unique identity. Their value is always determined by what they do. In an anti-patriarchal culture, males do not have to prove their value and worth. They know from birth that simply being gives them value, the right to be cherished and loved. Bell hooks. So that's what I'm saying, man. We've got to love maleness in itself. We've got to allow men to be without these needs to excel. Are you listening, men? Just, Just be. be, but you don't need to prove anything. Someone who has learnt these lessons mm -hmm. and is determined to teach them is yeah. Richie Reseda. Richie read Bell Hooks while serving a 10-year sentence in prison. He said in reading her books, his perspective and life changed and that feminism freed him and he wanted to free others. So he started Success Stories, Ooh. an education programme for people in prison. This program dismantles the patriarchy and incarceration by facilitating intersectional feminist workshops in prisons that help incarcerated men overcome harmful gender behaviours and be their highest selves. Can you imagine? Well, I don't need to imagine, Emma, because he is doing that. And actually, 600 men have graduated through his program. And a lot of the men who do graduate through his program become facilitators themselves, go back into prison and help to break down the patriarchy for other men. That they too can be freed by the words and the lessons of bell hooks and other feminists. God, this is like the best news ever. There's not many times you get good news. Richie is smashing it. Well done, Richie. Thanks, Richie. Seriously, mate, you have done us a blessing there. All those incarcerated men that are sat there listening, just a little inkling to learn more. That is all it takes. Yeah, perfect. So positive masculinity, guys. It means being yourself. I am talking about the plague. The years from 1981 to 1986, where there was mass death experienced amongst young people. Where folks my age watched in horror as our friends, their lovers, cultural heroes, influencers, buddies, the people who witnessed our lives as we witnessed theirs, as these folks sickened and died consistently for 15 years. Have you ever heard about it? 
Amazingly, there is almost no conversation in public about these events or their consequences. Every gay person walking around who lived in New York or San Francisco in the 1980s and early 90s is a survivor of devastation and carries with them the faces, fading names and corpses of the otherwise forgotten dead. When you meet a queer New Yorker over the age of 40, this should be your first thought. Our friends died and our world was destroyed because of the neglect of real people who also have names and faces, whether they were politicians or parents, as people with AIDS literally fought in the streets or hid in corners until they too died or survived. Others, their relatives, neighbors, friends, co-workers, presidents, landlords and bosses stood by and did nothing. 81,542 people died of AIDS in New York City as of August 16th, 2008. These people, our friends, are rarely mentioned. Their absence is not computed and the meaning of their loss is not considered. Obviously, a lot of people know about the AIDS pandemic in the 1980s, mm-hmm. but do we really know how much we lost? Now, these are the words of the incredible activist Sarah Shulman. Here she is talking about a generation of radical queer activists and artists who were lost, and how this loss has caused a cultural gap between our generation of queer people and hers. Wow. Which I think we forget. It's a gap, it's gone. If it was fulfilled, where would we be now? We don't know. And it's yeah. It's those classic what if questions in history. But it's almost like Brin really brushed over I can feel her anger and her mm-hmm. loss. Yeah. Because in the nineteen eighties, a rebellious revolutionary queer culture and vibrant downtown art scene in cities like New York and London dominated the cultural scene. But due to the death of so many pioneers, that world of art and ideas has kind of vanished. Yeah. And it has been replaced by a more acceptable, more mainstream, consumerist queer culture, which we are so accustomed to. 100%. Now, I think it's important we learn about this because instead of helping people at this time, governments and mainstream society chose to suppress queer people and their liberties, forcing them into hiding rather than helping them. For example, in the UK, Margaret Thatcher introduced Section 28, which meant councils were prohibited from funding books or films or plays that mentioned homosexuality, and teachers were banned from talking about it in schools. Can you imagine if you had, like, a family member that was dying of it? All of your friends. Or all of your fr- Like, there would have been young adults that would have had friends die of AIDS, and they would have been in school, you know, like, 16, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. For sure. And you're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to talk about it. That's almost so not human, treating these people like pathogens. It's really getting me. Ronald Reagan did the same. Mm. He didn't mention AIDS, I think, until 1985, when 12,000 people had already died from AIDS. So this was the government response Mm. to people who were fighting for their rights and protections in a time of absolute trauma. What's that that is going to do on the mind for the, like the mental health of a society is so damaging mm. and will be the result of so many so much trauma from then now that we are still being affected by today. Yeah, but no one talks about it. We also fail to learn about how the queer community became highly organized at this time because they had to be. Mm-hmm. So they set up buddy systems, they set up helplines, meals on wheels. They became researchers in experimental health, they became campaigners against pharmaceutical companies who were refusing to do anything because it wasn't profitable. They did this while it was ravaging the whole community. And this was a global movement called ACT UP. If you haven't heard of them, you need to check them out because they did so much for us. Mm -hmm. Silencing and suppressing the community as they suffered and died reduced our understanding of what happened and erased a huge amount of our history. Now, this has happened over and over again. Being targeted by fascists, being silenced, being murdered, being illegalized, being imprisoned. And parts of the world, this is still happening to our community. And for our trans community, we are seeing history repeat itself again. And it's weird because that sort of like queer, commercialised side of the queer community is just almost like, no, it's not, it's still 
skyrocketing. Yeah, skyrocketing. Making moves, you know. It's all well and good that, you know, we can do all these freedoms in some areas, in some places, but you can't dismiss all the other people. If you just look at sort of gay rights now and stuff and you'd think, oh yeah, it's all well and good, like, I'm, we're fine. But actually, it's now our siblings and the trans community that they need to be there for. It's yeah. the drag queens, it's the drag kings, it's the people in Uganda, it's the mm -hmm. people in Russia. Yeah. Fucking everywhere. It's and we're so still shocked going by on. It. We're so shocked by it. But it's happened so recently in history. Mm -hmm. We have lost a connection to that, I think. So I think we need to learn about the people that died and those that survived mm -hmm. in every way that we possibly can. Yeah. Because if you speak to any older queer, it's like they, they have a lasting grief that they, like, it still affects them to this of day. Course. And it's like, that is not Defines your entire youth, your entire life. Yeah. In the Gen Z culture of what I grew up in and how I've been so privileged in that I've not had to deal with any, I don't not know anyone with AIDS, but it's like, so I, if I were to close my mind, I could easily just live in this bubble of happy queer life. But then it's who you talk to, you know, we talked to Fat Tony and you could see it in his eyes. Mm -hmm. he, he had friends that he'd lost. He'd lost a community, a family. Mm -hmm. And where the fuck is that in our commercialized gay life? So it's our own responsibility for ourselves to then go and learn about it, to then help other people. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm talking to you. I know a lot of gay people that will just sit at home and go to Pride and go to parties and think, nah, it's fine. But you can't do that. No. And I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to scare anyone with activism, but just read up on it, acknowledge it. That's one of the, the biggest things you can do is just be aware of it. Yeah. That's why our history is important because every time this happens, mm -hmm. we lose a part of ourselves and our beautiful culture. Yeah. And we can't lose anymore. Now, Sarah Shulman has spent years of her life fighting for our rights and preserving our history. Who is she? Just an actress. She's an activist. She's a writer. She's a, she's a lesbian. She even compiled an archive oral history of all the actors that fought in the ACT UP movement during the AIDS pandemic. There are hundreds of interviews on there and you can go and look at it. It's free resource. You can learn about what people did for you. But 20, 30 years ago. So, well done, Sarah Shulman. Read this, Gentrification of the Mind. Excellent book. Mm -hmm. Wonderful woman. Wow. What an incredible, incredible, incredible podcast. I must say, Hester. <laughs> what? If you say so yourself, Em? Yeah. I was just blown away by the stories that you come and tell me all the time. It's just... Hey, buddy, yours were pretty good too, you know. I had one. <laughs> you did have one. And it was a good one. Oh, cheers. It hit many notes. <laughs> it did. It did. Um, I feel like the overarching theme this week was more like the importance of history. Yes. I mean, that's always our theme. Yes. But more like... The lost history, I think it was a big, big, big thing for me. It's always lost, to be fair. It though, is always it? lost, but I feel predominantly this one was very, very strong in its ability to highlight that there is a gaping hole in history that was queer history. Mm-hmm. And that it's been destroyed over and over again. Yes. By the Nazis. Yeah. By the AIDS pandemic. Yeah. By the reaction of the government to the AIDS pandemic. Yeah. And by, by racism. Gums. But actually, when we start to see the full picture, mm -hmm. we start to see how we've always had these values deep down. Yeah. And that all we need to do is look, look into the past mm -hmm. and be who we are in the present. Yeah. In order to create the future. Yeah. Bing, bang, bong. Right. Well done, Em. Well done, Hess. Good, good, good one today. Good, 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 bloody good one. Let's go do some more research. Tell let's, go, let's go back into the bus, Jackson. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. I'll see you later. <laughs>